This is your other brother's podcast. It's like running through an open door. It's like finding what you're looking for. We've been waiting. We won't wait no more. We got a beautiful story. Every moment on and on. We got a beautiful story. And we've only just begun. The best is yet to come. Welcome home, friends. This is your other brother's podcast. We're a community navigating faith, homosexuality, and masculinity together. From the jewel of the Blue Ridge, my name is Tom, and I'm so glad that you're here. Joining us today from the handprint of God, mighty Michigan, it's our other brother, Ben. What's up, Ben? Hey, Tom. What's up? Good to be here again. Hello, hello. And joining us, making a brave, triumphant return after many months, many months away, um, from the frozen tundra of Alberta, Canada, it's our other brother, Will. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Oh my gosh, yes, Will. <laughs> I saw about, someone posted it, it always sneaks up on me, because here in America, we don't celebrate that for another seven weeks. But I saw it, I saw that it, Thanksgiving was happening. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, we celebrate Thanksgiving at the proper time here, uh, when there's actually harvest happening. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. When we celebrate it, it's already death. Death has fallen pretty much. So happy Thanksgiving. Man, I wish I could redo my intro and wish you a happy Thanksgiving as my first words out of my mouth to you today. Also, happy National Coming Out Day. It is that as well. We are recording this. It's not relevant to our listening audience as they hear this, but as we record this, it is National Coming Out Day, which is a huge pivotal pivotal day um in many people's lives now and so we will maybe we'll share some coming out stories before the intro is over but first we need to say we need to lay this out you guys because today today's a very unique episode because i don't think we've ever done an episode quite like this where we talk about a, a work of art or, or a, a, a a piece a, a piece of content out in the universe right now um we're going to be talking about the netflix documentary pray away because we're coming off of a summer break. And what do you do after summer break? You talk about the summer flicks, the cool summer movies that came out. And what more exciting, thrilling blockbuster hit to talk about than Pray Away. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> akin to a Marvel movie or, I don't know, whatever else. Like another Mission Impossible movie or James Bond movie or whatever else came out this summer. This is, this is right in, in, in league with that. And so that's what we, the three of us, are going to be talking about today because this movie came out a couple months ago now and um it's kind of just been sitting out there for us to to at least reference if not dedicate an entire episode to so that's what we're going to do today i'm sure you guys have some thoughts otherwise you wouldn't have come on here today right yeah i actually have no thoughts so i think i better just get going (laughs) (laughs) will has no thoughts so maybe we won't talk about it that long i don't know we'll see but that's that's the plan the plan is to talk today about pray away um and get get the the 411 on this little documentary um but first i'm gonna stick with you will because i i caught whispers that maybe that you you snuck across the border 
and maybe you got stranded question mark. I don't know if I ever got resolution to this story. I heard it secondhand. So <laughs> do you care to fill in both myself, but then the listeners as well? Where Did you indeed make it back to your homeland? I did. I, I'm also from the, the handprint of God uh, originally. Yes, you are. So, so I was able to make it back to visit my family after like 18 or 19 months, uh, something like that. Mm. And uh, got to visit a couple brothers as well. So that was a wonderful uh, experience. But yeah, they let me across the border into the States and uh, they let me back into Canada. And that was the one that I was uh, a little worried about, but <laughs> it, it went okay. It's, I was wondering. I made yeah. it. <laughs> I didn't have clarity if you actually made it across, but I see you on my screen. So obviously you did, but there is a time there where I wasn't sure if if you were like, I pictured you detained in a cell and like <laughs> encased well, in bubble wrap because you have to wait 14 days or something. I don't know. I didn't know what, I, what was happening. I've, I've had way sketchier uh, issues uh, crossing the border in the past. So th this was uh, um, like, I didn't have to like uh, leave my car this time and have people search it. Like that's mm -hmm. happened multiple times uh, for me. Uh, so it was actually rather smooth. I did have to like submit a bunch of documentation and uh, a negative COVID tests and all that stuff, but it exciting. It, yeah, it worked fine though. And, so I was pretty pleased. And Will, we actually crossed the border together. And the reason I love that story because I've crossed the border several times to good old Canada. Um, but I think crossing with you is up there with one of my two more more memorable experiences because. We were, we, the border crossing we went to, they're all different. The one we went to closed at midnight, I think, or something like that, yep. 11 p.m. And we showed up at like five minutes <laughs> before, was it? And I don't think, I mean, they let us through. It was a happy ending. But I don't think the person manning the gate was all too pleased that we were showing up that late. Oh, she was in a bad mood. And, and like... I have an Alberta car, but a U.S. Uh, passport. And so she, mm. I remember she immediately questioned, like, why does a U.S. citizen have an Alberta card, uh, car? Um, like, why is that being driven across the border? Mm. So, like, there was that. And then was it you who didn't have their passport signed? And that also raised a red flag? <laughs> oh, was it me? I might have not. Yeah, because you're supposed to sign it in like pencil or something. I yeah. probably I don't sign my credit cards either. Do you guys do that? Like, I never sign my credit cards on the back. Who does that? I, but do yeah. signatures even matter anymore? Like, I know it's a. But but yeah, that was a good border crossing though, and we stayed uh, in a hostel that night. That was a lot of fun. Mm hmm. So much fun. Love love adventuring to Canada. Uh, ben, you're. At the handprint of God, do you ever cross the border just for kicks and giggles? Do you have reasons to? Do you do it? You're so close. Yeah, it, it's not that far of a drive, whether, you know, usually be going going down to Detroit. Um, no, honestly, like there's been a couple times where we've just gone to the uh, the duty-free station just so we could get some stuff without having to pay tax on it. Mm. Um, particularly the maple the maple candies from uh, from Canada. We like those a lot. So, yeah. Oh, and then it's good to be able to pick up some good whiskey, too, without having to pay duty on it. So, <laughs> Whiskey Amen. talk. Here we go. It's good to have... Um, I hope our Canadian listenership is listening, because they are our second most listened to country after these United States. So... Um, shout out to Canada. We always love, we always love giving you love whenever you come up in our conversations or whenever we have good old Will Cooper on the show to represent, even though he's not from there. 
he's still representing you. He's an honorary I, Canadian. I lived here for six years. That has That's to count for something. Significant. Yeah, that really is beautiful. Well, I'm glad you made it back in one piece. I'm glad you're back on our lovely show with Ben. This is the pastoral episode. <laughs> <laughs> where we where we don't necessarily talk about pastor things. We sometimes do, but we don't have to. I'm not a pastor, so so we're gonna talk today about pray away, but before we get to that, um wanted to play a voicemail because you guys we're back on the air again and we're having these episodes coming out and we love to hear from you. It's a reminder that if you have something to say, if you hear something, say something. That's that's what we say here, right? <laughs> So if you have a question, if you have a story to share, keep it under three minutes because the voicemail will cut you off. Um, but we love hearing from our listeners, whether you're longtime listeners, new listeners, whether you've called 17 times before or never at all. Um, and so I wanted to play this voicemail from someone who has called several times before um, as he responds to our mountaintops and valleys episode from last time. So Tom, play the clip. Um, don't forget, you are not alone. Even the sparrow finds a home. And from listening to your podcast with Ryan and Aaron and, oh, who else was it? I know. Um, from Michigan, I think, the pastor. Ah, uh, Ben, right? Anyway, I just really resonated. Favorite word of yours. I resonated so much with the, uh, with the podcast. One of the cool things, um, that Ryan said was talking about how not to make it too big a deal of the mountaintop thing because then the rest of our life supposedly just sucks, you know, down in the valley. And it's like, no, no, no. You know, we have to make sure that we somehow make sure we are in the spirit in the valley. And that was really good for me. But the entire podcast was really good to see you back, too. It was really great. Sorry about your car accident. Oh, mercy. Did we almost lose you, brother? I couldn't imagine. But what was touching to me is you said, you know, guys, even if something had happened to me and I were to go to the Lord, I know you guys would step up to the plate and run with this. And you know what, brother? They would run with it. There's no doubt about it. So welcome home, brother. I'm sure you had a great summer. I love you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for calling Pastor Ben. He almost forgot your name there. It was a last minute and a last minute um, catch. It was like a football play. He he caught it. He brought it in and he rescued the, the, the catch. Um, but it was so good to hear about this episode because we've been off, off for a couple months and um, I'm glad it landed with so many people. I've heard from people who, who listened to it, who found it really appropriate for um, it's just a good old life episode. Everybody has mountaintops and valleys. Not everybody experiences homosexuality, but everybody in life, Christian or otherwise, will experience mountains and valleys in life. So, um, so it was good to just hear from somebody. And um, towards the end of the call, he referenced, once again, I could have died in a car accident. And I love talking about my impending doom. So anytime someone brings up the fact that I might be dead soon, I love it. I'm all for it. I'm all for the darkness of of the, the what what happens to Yab if Tom dies in a car accident questions. I love those. So thank you for bringing that back to the <laughs> back to the conversation. We had such a great time bringing that up in our last episode. Um, but all jokes aside, I'm glad to be back and we're glad to be back doing this show. If you guys want to call us, give us a call. 
389-8009 or shoot us an email. We always love hearing from people too, podcast at yourotherbrothers.com. And once again, we are on a mission, you guys, to get to 150 Apple Podcast reviews. Um, I forget where we're at right now, 127, 128 or something. So we've got a little ways to go. But just a, no- a reminder that if you love what we're doing, if you listen to this show or and or the Yob Convo cast, and you haven't rated us yet, if you haven't reviewed us yet on Apple's podcast, um, go ahead and do that. And we would love to read your review on the air. And once again, a reminder, you can use an alias... We actually encourage you to use an alias because it's fun to read like all the fun alias names we've had over the years. So, um, so please, if you, if you enjoy what we're doing, it helps us out. It helps get the show to more ears around the world and sponsoring today's show. You know, this, this, this documentary, um, pray away that we're talking about today, it is on Netflix. You would think that Netflix would throw their support behind our show and, talking about something that's on their streaming platform, but we couldn't get Netflix. We just, we couldn't, they didn't reach out, but um, we did get Blockbuster, Blockbuster sponsoring today's episode. <laughs> I'm pray away because why not? They have nothing. That's to lose. such a good sponsor. They literally have nothing to lose because they are nothing. Isn't there still one? There's still one left, right? There's, there's one store, which I, oh my gosh, you guys, what a great segue. I would love to visit this place. It's in Bend, Oregon. Already a hipster, weird little town, similar to Asheville, kind of like a desert version of Asheville. Um, but there is one last blockbuster there that I would be thrilled to visit one day. I think it would be great. It's like an ironic store. Like they, they're cl- clearly self-aware that this is ridiculous. And so I would love to visit there and just embrace the, the humor of the place. So if anyone wants so, to go to Tom, Bend with me, do, please. Do we need to do another road trip from uh, yes. uh, Canada to uh, Oregon? Like you're we, the closest. Can... Yeah, out of everybody in this room, you're the closest. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ben, you're welcome to come too. But it's uh, I would just love to go there with somebody. I think that'd be so fun. What you do is you you drive and you go see Niagara Falls in Canada. Then you swing oh. across the bridge in Detroit, and then pick me up on your way up, and we go through the Upper Peninsula and into Canada. This is a trip. So we're going coast to coast, all to see the last blockbuster. I think that's appropriately, <laughs> that's that's just an appropriate distance to give a trip like that. I think that would be great. They could turn that into a Netflix documentary one day. These three boys traveling to the last blockbuster. For what reason? They don't really know, but they're just going. Um, but yes, thank you, Blockbuster, for sponsoring today <laughs> today's episode of the Yobcast as we talk about Pray Away. Um, so Pray Away, for those that aren't aware, let me give you a little synopsis of what this even is. Because some people probably listening have no idea what we're about to talk about. It's news to them. Um, but it's not news to us. I think our feelers went up when this movie came out, right? Like we were pretty aware of it. I don't think it like eluded us. I knew about it a few months in advance. I saw a trailer, I think, or something before it came out. And so it was on my radar and then it came out and I'll talk about my feelings going into it in a second. But um, this is a Ryan Murphy production. Did you guys, do you guys know Ryan Murphy? Are you familiar with him a little bit? I, I know his name and I know the TV shows that he helped make mm-hmm. uh, in movies, but I, I don't really care about any of the stuff he makes. Okay. Like this is <laughs> literally the only thing he's made that I'm like, Wow, this is like something important. So I hope mm. I didn't offend anybody. I probably did. There might be some 
people taking offense right now if they're big Ryan Murphy stands out there. Yeah, Ryan Murphy from Glee to American Horror Story. That's the gamut of what he's produced. And then you have Pray Away, amongst other things that he's also produced and written for. Um, so he's he's one of the guys behind this documentary. Um, and it's about former leaders and survivors of conversion therapy or um, quote-unquote ex-gay ministries. And so it follows the the trials and travails of all these people. And it's an interesting crop of people um, in this, in this documentary and uh, really strange and unnerving for me because like I have met <laughs> several of those people. It's like, it's strange to watch. Some, it'd be like if I was sitting in a movie theater, it didn't come out in like national theaters, but it'd be like sitting in a movie theater. I'm looking up at the screen and like, Oh yeah, I sat at a lunch table with that guy or I was 10 feet away from that person on a stage once. Like it's very, it was very like, I don't think I've ever had that feeling before watching something on, on the, not the big screen, the little screen, whatever the screen is that I was watching it on. Um, so that was like my initial takeaway from watching it. I don't know how it landed with you guys as far as your familiarity with the characters um, in the, in the production, but it was, it was strange. It was an experience. Oh, even for me, like when I saw the the trailer, like I had to, pause it a few times to be like am i in this scene like that was <laughs> that was the weirdest experience and probably like brought up my anxiety levels quite a bit because i'm like there's a good chance i could be in this film like in the background or something like that and that's that's a weird weird mm. feeling to, to have uh, that's a good segue because i want to talk about our feelings each of us going into this like what connections or lack thereof we had um going into this into this movie i'll I'll finish this out but will why don't we go straight to you like what is your association with the the topics and the people that are featured in this documentary yeah uh when i was in high school i was involved in um the exodus ministry near me which out at the time was out mars hill bible church uh in grand rapids so Rob Bell's church. I had an Exodus ministry there. So hold, I'm sure a lot of people hold the phone. You went to Rob Bell's church. <laughs> I, I didn't, my, my, uh, one of my brothers, uh, played drums as church for, for a while, oh but I gosh. didn't really go there on a regular basis. We went to another mega church in Grand Rapids. So, <laughs> wow. I'm learning Grand things Rapids has already. a lot of mega churches. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. That's funny. Anyway, so, continue. That, yeah, so that was where the local ministry uh, was associated with, or at least uh, um, I think they were involved with a couple churches, but Mars Hill was uh, one of them. But yeah, so I was I probably got involved with that ministry when I was 14 or 15, um, and I went to my first Exodus conference in 05, which... I think I was 15 or 16 at the time. I think I was 16. Um, and, uh, um, and 06 were the two conferences I went to. So I was rather young when I went to the Exodus conferences. Um, and after the second Exodus conference, I uh, quit the local Exodus ministry as well that I was a part of. So, yeah, that's kind of my involvement there. Okay. So you were going to not only the conferences, but you had like ongoing meetings or therapy or what have you, like the yeah, rest they, of the Yeah, they year. were more meetings. meetings. I, I wouldn't okay. really uh, qualify those as like therapy sessions. Right. Uh, but okay. yeah, we had, we had small group uh, meetings quite often. Okay, 
Cool. Which is, yeah, more than I had. Um, let's go to Ben and then I'll share my side as well. I didn't experience Exodus directly, um, but I would say some of the fallout from it. Uh, my first experience ever even having conversations about same-sex attraction was with Christopher Yuan and, you know, heavily influenced by some of the methodology from, from Exodus. And I remember asking him, you know, is change possible? You know, am I going to be able to get married? What's this, you know, what could this possibly look like? Um, and at the time, I think he was still willing to talk about the idea that there was ongoing attraction, something that isn't, you know, necessarily referenced as much um, in conversations today. But he, he talked about that, yeah, for, for a lot of people, the, the attraction continues throughout life. But yeah, change is possible. The ability to, you know, um, find a woman and get married is is possible. Um you know, looking back at that and just seeing it, for lack of a better term, um, my naive hope. And then, you know, fast forward to today and looking at, you know, marriages that have uh, fallen apart because people bought into this idea of change is possible, dot, 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 for everybody. And that this is the norm and this is what's expected. If you put in A, B, and C, you're going to get X, Y, and Z, Um you know, seeing kind of the harm of that after the fact. So going into the movie, um, there was a group of us from from up here that got together to watch it. And we had to pause the movie at one point because one of the guys here, his, uh, his therapist was in the video, not speaking, but was there like he saw him over the shoulder, one of the main speakers, and he's like... That's the guy that I uh, that I saw for reparative therapy that my parents forced me to to go see when they tried to change me. So a lot of emotion as we were watching it, and yeah, yeah. that has super close to home um, to have someone in the room <laughs> have a reaction to have a connection like that. Um, yeah, it's very strange. Will you mentioned going to Exodus? You said oh five and oh six. Is that right? It's okay. First of all, so strange because I went in 09. So the fact that we missed each other by three years, like how, what a, what an epic encounter that could have been. But that, sadly, that would have been amazing. The world will <laughs> never know what a young Tom and a young Will meeting at Exodus would have been like. Who knows? At least we're meeting now, all these years later. Um, so yeah, I went to the 09 and the 13 Exodus conference. 13 was the last one. So I got to go to the last Exodus conference. Um, and so going into it, that uh, my only experience with Exodus was positive. I only went to these two conferences. I never went to anything else in the, in the interim, in the middle, in the, all those years and in between. Like it was only these two conferences that I attended. And, and the main takeaway other than just like, you know, some of the most powerful times of worship with fellow believers that I've ever experienced. It was, um, it was the friendships and the relationships that I made at these conferences. And those were, you know, some that last to this day that I'm really truly grateful for. So I've had to reconcile, and this isn't a revelation that came with this movie because I've known this for years now. I've had to reconcile that maybe my experience with Exodus is more of a minority experience versus a lot of, a lot of other people, possibly a lot more people. Um, who did not have a positive experience or who had um, even an abusive or horrifying experience. And so I've had to hold that loosely. Like this is my experience and I'm not going to deny my experience, but I'm also going to recognize that there are um, there's just a lot of hurt, a lot of trauma and a lot of pain in the room when it comes to the topic of Exodus. And when it comes to the topic of reparative therapy and ex-gay ministries, because um, it's been a really hurtful, hard 
some 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 people have have gotten to a place of healing and restoration from that, but I, I imagine many still wrestle to this day with the fallout from being involved in these experiences. And so, so we just want to do a good job today um, of just recognizing that um, as we talk about this film. I, you you mentioned Will that you were afraid you might see yourself. I had that kind of same feeling because when they were. Okay, Exodus doesn't really make its way into the movie until I don't know a third of the way in or something. Like it's it's absent for a while. It takes some time to build up to the introduction of Exodus, and then when it comes, all of a sudden they're showing like video clips where it says two thousand. I think two thousand eight or something. Two thousand seven. I forget. And then two thousand six. Like, oh, did it say two thousand six? Because I was yeah. like, it was showing clips, and then it showed. It actually showed one from 09 and then it definitely showed one from 13, the last one that I attended. And when they're showing clips of like the cafeteria and they're showing people eating and talking, I swear, like I was like, I recognize that person. <laughs> I remember that person. I wonder where they're at today. I wonder what their story changed into or, or is now. Um, so there was, again, just like an added layer of that unsettling feeling of just even being familiar with these people, like the fact that the clips that they were showing were from events that I attended was kind of strange. Like I've, I've never felt that watching a movie before. So um, those are just some like immediate takeaways from, from me watching it and my experience with those Exodus conferences. Um, but I wanted to echo what you were, what you were saying earlier, Will, cause I, I had, I didn't have a fear. I wouldn't say I was afraid that I would see myself, but I was just really, I had a heightened state of curiosity, let's say about what, what, what was about to come on screen? Because I had no idea. And like in the trailer itself, I recognized some of the people uh, that were in the trailer, which is why like I'm like I hung out with some of those people. So that's why I had that that heightened sense of anxiety. I'm like, oh, if these people that I hung out with are at least in the trailer, am I going to be in the film? <laughs> um, and so that's weird. And they spent. Out of the Exodus conferences that they showed, they spent the most amount of time at the 06 mm. uh, conference, uh, which was the second one I was at. I, I was shocked that they didn't show any footage, or maybe they didn't have any footage from uh, the 2005 uh, conference, because uh, uh, Jerry Falwell spoke at that conference. So I thought that Ooh, would have been like a major... That's a big get. Uh, yeah, yeah, something that they would want in the, the film, but I'm very happy that they didn't have both... Uh, Oh five and oh six and that. Yeah, <laughs> double dose, <laughs> double dose from teenage Will's life. That would have been something else. Um, so yeah, why don't we roll into it? We'll just kind of we're not going to cover the whole film, obviously, but we're going to do our best to do the uh, the best cross section of it because they focus on like five or six little sub stories happening throughout the film, and we follow these people throughout the hour and a half. And so we'll just kind of jump around as we. As we always do on this show, we'll follow the rabbit trails where they lead. This is a fun little um, experiment into a film club. I feel like we've done, we've been doing a book club now for our Patreon supporters for a while. So if this goes well, because we'll have a Zoom call about this later, um, who knows? Maybe we'll do film club for for Yav. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be great? Although we can't can't possibly talk about things like Pray Away every single month. That would be exhausting. We'd have to find throw in some Mean Girls or I don't know some. <laughs> Some other fan favorites in our community. 
I've actually been slowly writing on some blogs for Yab on like a side B movie review. So I'm yeah. already kind of like on track for this. Okay. So, so well, I need to actually finish those blogs. I've been on my mind for like five months now. So oh I totally gosh. apologize. Have we re-entered the Will <laughs> Cooper dry spell? Because there's like a yes, feverish pace where he'll write like three or four blogs in a row. And then all of a sudden I don't hear from him for a year. I don't know where he's been or what he's doing. <laughs> Lord, end the dry spell soon, please. Amen. <laughs> oh man that's funny okay so you guys how did you feel when the movie was starting and it's just like really quiet and we're following this man around hold i forget if he was holding a sign or what he was doing but he's like standing outside of a supermarket or something telling people about jesus asking if he can pray with them starts to share his story that he's a former trans former homosexual man um, and wants to tell people about Jesus and what he's doing in his life and his friends' lives. And it's just knowing the context of the film, like if I had just seen that out of context, I'd be like, oh, it's interesting. But knowing, kind of having a feeling what this movie was centered on and where it was going to go, it, it had a sense of foreboding to it. It's like, oh gosh, here we go. Like this is, we're doing this, we're watching this movie now. Um, it was kind of jarring just to see, to see that that was the first opening scene of this this documentary how did you guys feel about this introduction to um to the movie so little known fact i actually took one film class whoa in community Ooh. college so as far as film as art steven spielberg over here i know right <laughs> um i'm probably gonna get zinged by my my brother-in-law who actually went to school for that full time for a while um but as an art, so at the beginning there, you're following the story of, you know, his name's Jeffrey. And you see him, you know, sharing his testimony, sharing the work that Jesus has done in his life. And it's one of the things that doesn't get commented on by by the director, you know, by any of the other people that are featured that, that are trying to talk about why the ex-gay movement was harmful. So to open with him, to go through all of the all of the stories, all of the evidence that says this is harmful towards people, and then to circle back around at the end and to just say, but guess what? Exodus is gone. But this is still a present reality. This is still being taught. This is still being embraced. Um, that it's being picked up and, and carried. And that churches are still gravitating to this idea that, that this harm isn't something that's in the past. It's something that's still present. So film as art, that was a, a very strong method of just driving that point home at the end. Don't forget the lessons that have been learned up until this point. And be willing to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. This is harmful. Mm. So one of the things that struck me about it, though, was uh, they picked somebody who was genuinely kind. Like, mm -hmm. if I made this movie, I would have been so ruthless. Like, I'll just be <laughs> honest. I would have, like, like emphasized every negative example as much as I could. And they were bringing very kind positive examples of people that you cannot help but loving and in the end that was probably the the smart thing to to do because when i look back at my time of exodus everybody there they were all very kind and amazing people well yeah. i shouldn't say everybody most of them yeah and so that was actually probably more accurate 
to like begin with somebody who is super kind and genuine, uh, because that is a part of the story as well. Yeah, absolutely. They, they never like outright, they're not like showing clips of, of the freedom March people to all the other people in the film. And they're saying, what do you guys think about these specific people? Or what do you, they're not, they're not casting any kind of judgment on, they're showing their meetings I give them credit for like letting cameras in the room. I don't know that I would have like if there's a yap retreat and and Ryan Murphy comes and wants to film it. I'm not letting him in. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so so there's a certain amount of courage there, absolutely, that I respect about these people, regardless of maybe different philosophical beliefs or how to approach sexuality. Like the fact that they were just letting the letting the camera crews come in and um and the fact that the production team they showed it. And they kind of let the viewer decide, like, are these people crazy or are they admirable? Maybe a little bit of both. But there is a niceness there. They're not horrible people. Um, they seemed really lovely to be with. Even watching, well, I guess we'll just jump ahead to this part because there's a part later in the documentary about the Freedom March where they're gathering in somebody's home. They're singing. They're raising their hands. They're putting their hands on each other and praying for each other. And again, taken out of context, you would look at that and it's like, oh, am I watching like a Hillsong like music video, like what is this? And and the fact that it's interspliced then with um with all the negative stories about conversion therapy and how people have been trying to heal and recover from this, um, it's an interesting juxtaposition. But um, for what it was, it looks like they are lovely people. Again, I've met several of the, several of the people from in that room, and so it's interesting to just see them um, featured so prominently throughout throughout this uh, this documentary. Well, and the thing for the director Christine Stolakis, this this wasn't this wasn't an impersonal story for her, and in some ways, her her choosing of of Jeffrey to follow, um, her uncle came out as you know trans female when he was younger, and was basically told no and enforced into conversion therapy, and she saw the you know the pain in his life that resulted from that, so then. You know, when she went away to film school, her her goal for her first film was to highlight Exodus, was to highlight conversion therapy, and there's there's some intentionality on her part in going to somebody whose story, in some ways, was like her uncle's, but was still, you know, in the middle of the movement, so to speak. Um, so her heart there, and she she was upfront in her intentions with him that they were going to be a critical voice, and he was actually still okay with being included in the film. Um, she wanted to make sure that she was honest in that, that in this whole thing, even as she's depicting pain, she didn't, you know, tell him, oh yeah, it's going to be a positive thing. We're going to use you in a negative way. And he knew that going in. I appreciated her, her honesty there and her heart to show. So, yeah, definitely. Um, what did you guys think, or did you guys learn anything? Let's just kind of start basic building blocks. Was there anything in this documentary that you didn't know before or that was new information or new, yeah, just new education for you? Because I'll speak first. Like, I did, I'm not super familiar. Like I said, I had these two conferences that I went to and had positive experiences with, and that was the extent of my knowledge of the quote-unquote ex-gay world, which at the time I would have never called it that. I would have just called it like... I don't know what I would have called it. I wouldn't have used the the jargon of ex-gay because I, whenever I heard the phrase change is possible, I know that that's a trigger for a lot of people. Um, I never took that literally. I mean, a lot of people certainly did, but I never took change to mean orientation change. I just meant like, oh, a change in how I'm viewing myself or how I'm growing with the Lord or how I tell my story or whatever. Like that's kind of how I always interpreted change. 
Um, but I learned, I learned just about some of the, the figures in this movie, like John Pock. Is that how you say his name? John Pock. The, the fact that he was married, because I am familiar a little bit more with his wife. Is it Anne? Yeah, I should have wrote this down. Yeah, Ann Pock, <laughs> who represents Restored Hope Network, which is kind of one of those those X Game Ministries that came out from from the fallout of Exodus. Which that was like kind of a uh, that's like where you find out Darth Vader is Luke's father. Like I had no idea that those there, there was a connection there between these two people, an ex a quote unquote ex gay and then a quote unquote ex lesbian who were married and very prominent during the the whole first part of this documentary as they're talking about those years. That was fun to learn for me. I didn't know any of that. So I felt like I learned something in this movie. I think for me, um, just the number of people that, uh, you know, went away to Texas International, um, I mean, the statistic they gave at the end, 700,000 people in the U.S. alone have gone through some form of conversion therapy, um, you know, that was something that I didn't know. I, I That's didn't... like the population of a state, I imagine, right? Like, I think Wyoming only has 300 or 400,000 or something. We have one listener in Wyoming. He can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a sizable state. That's a sizable population of people. Yeah, for sure. So just to, to kind of hear that. And then, yeah, the statistics there. I mean, to, to put the numbers with, with some faces um, was definitely eye-opening for me. So, well, did you learn anything from this, or did you already were you already pretty well versed, I guess, in everything? I I knew most of it actually. That I think the um, thing that I did learn was the extent of the political involvement. I knew that there was a lot of uh, political involvement, like with a uh, uh, Proposition Eight uh, in California, but uh, with like, um, yeah, Exodus involvement in like the the Republican Party and politics and uh, um, all that there I had I actually did not know that part um, so I thought that was very fascinating but um, I don't think anything else really jumped out at, at me as anything new Michael Bussy Bussy however you say his last name um, that he exited <laughs> he exited Exodus <laughs> As early on as he did, and, um, you know, that the, the ministry continued on without him, that even after leader after leader after leader, you know, stepped away or, or fell or whatever you want to call it, um, that the organization just kind of kept marching on as if nothing had happened. I think I have, like, somewhere in my room here, I have, like, all my notes from uh, the Exodus conferences. I remember going to one workshop where they uh, basically the whole point was to defend Exodus and to like demonize uh, 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 Michael. Like it was, <laughs> that oh my was gosh. Uh, pull out like, the notes. Let's bring him out. Yeah. Yeah. There. <laughs> I what a trip down memory lane. That would have been maybe on a follow-up pod. Maybe for the Yabalog, you can read some. <laughs> he's going, he's leaving the table. We'll see if he comes up with something. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, okay, so before this movie came out, oh my gosh, look, Will is holding up, you guys can't see this, but he's holding up. Yeah, I was going to say podcast. Exodus uh, notebooks. I'm seeing the Exodus logo, which I haven't seen in a long time. That little swirly E. Blast from the past. This, this is from the second conference. So those Live out six loud. One. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crazy. 
Wow. That's amazing that you still have those things. Hard to let go? Is it hard to let go of them? Or do you just want to <laughs> learn from them? Or what's your reasoning for having them? I'm trying to decide. <laughs> mm, mm. Like, I've I've had them, like, uh, I was looking at them the other day, knowing that we're going to talk about this okay. uh, film. But, uh, um, yeah, I've had them in a dresser drawer for a long, long time. So I don't know uh, why so I have them, to be honest. But mm. it's there. Interesting. Interesting. I remember, I distinctly remember throwing mine away two summers ago because I was downsizing. I was, I had just watched the Marie Kondo, the Marie Kondo phenomenon that swept the nations. She was, she had this Netflix show. It all goes back to Netflix, not our sponsor of this episode. Um, but she had a show called <laughs> Tidying Up and she wrote this book, um, about tidying up and ways to clean your house and get rid of things and things that don't spark joy. That's her big mantra. And so there was a time where I went through all my paper documents because that's one of the categories. She has these five categories and one of them is papers, which for me is probably the hardest, most extensive one because I have collected like report cards and essays from high school and certificates of this and that and papers on papers on papers. I had so many folders full of papers and among the papers pile, I remember was my little Exodus pamphlet from 09. I don't think I had the one from 13, but I think I definitely had the one from 09 with notes in it and the speakers and bios and everything. And I had to hold it in my hand and I was like, huh, like this is not sparking joy. This does nothing for me anymore. This is a chapter of my life that's no longer there. And, and then I ultimately got rid of it. But, um, but maybe for you, maybe there's still some joy to be sparked. Well, <laughs> I, I threw away her book, and after I threw away her book, I felt better. So that's got to count I, for something. So I didn't throw away her book, but I thought the appropriate thing to do, my neighborhood has those little free libraries. And so I took it to a little free library outside someone's house, stuck it in there. And I was like, okay, now this book can go and do what it needs to do for somebody else because it's done done the job for me. I found I found the, the notes uh, talking about Michael Bussey here. Setting the record straight, says the headline. So it's a story that defends Exodus against him. That's so interesting. Yep. So I'm familiar to tie it back because we're starting to derail, which is like expected, Sorry. but that's okay. It's, it's all of our faults. Um, this movie, a lot of people might remember, I'm, I don't even know if you guys watched it, but there is a Lisa Ling special. She had a show. I don't think she has it anymore, but she had a show on the Oprah channel or the Oprah network, whatever it's called, um, called Our America. And she did two episodes on ex-gay movements and ministries and praying the gay away, essentially. Um, and so that's how I kind of got introduced because I didn't know anything about Michael Bussey up until her specials. And so she it makes its way into this um, into this documentary because there's a part where uh, the the infamous church basement scene, which my goodness, they they brought in like 15 um, ex-gay survivors into this church basement where they're having a meeting. Um, and Lisa Ling was there with her camera crew and Alan Chambers and his wife, the, the former president of, of Exodus International, the last president of Exodus International. They were all in the room together. Um, and it was basically just a time to listen. Alan was sitting there listening as all these people around in a circle um, just like looked him in the eye. And some of them with a lot of intensity told them about how they've been hurt and traumatized over the years by Exodus and by ex-gay ministry work. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was a surreal like sequel moment for me. Cause I remember watching those a couple of years ago. I guess that was my first foray into seeing people on a screen that I'm familiar with. Um, cause I have a really good friend, um, 
that knew somebody really well in that circle. I didn't know anybody directly in that circle, but I have a really good friend who knew somebody really well in that circle and how it unsettled him, which kind of by default unsettled me. And so it was, uh, it was interesting to see that scene make its way into this, into this documentary too. Tom, are we talk about, are you talking about the same friend that, that we have? Oh, yes. Yes, we are. Yeah, we have a yeah. mutual friend, Will and I. <laughs> well, more than one, but. <laughs> more than one, but there's one in particular. Yeah. So there's a little connection to, to that church basement scene, which, um, yeah, it's, if you haven't seen the Lisa Ling, Our America special, it's, uh, that, that to me, I, honestly, I think that was harder for me to watch because that was, maybe I'm just desensitized to it now. And this is, I'm just kind of used to the gravitas of this conversation. But, but I remember when I saw that, whenever that came out years ago, like, um, yeah, that, that had an effect on me for a while just to, to see like, oh, wait, this thing that again, was positive for me was clearly not for these people. And this is just a snapshot of all the other people in the, in the world that it wasn't good for. So, so yeah, that's, um, it was a good reminder, I guess, cause I kind of forgot about that special until this, this clip in the movie came, came about. What other parts of this film stood out to you guys? What was either, well, I don't know if there was anything encouraging. Was there anything encouraging? Was there anything challenging um, or anything otherwise memorable from the film that you guys want to talk about? Do I want to go with the, the encouraging thing or the negative thing? Um... <laughs> I don't know. You're, <laughs> you, you, you seamlessly go through both worlds. You're, can, you can be very jovial and encouraging and you can also be very direct and <laughs> call to action and justice. And so it's wherever you want so to go. One, one of the things that Julie Rogers points out Um, and this is like one of the things that has always caused a lot of conflict, uh, for me, because I would, I would describe Exodus as a very harmful experience overall. It's been, it's been tough for me to get over. Uh, but, um, Julie in the film mentions like, like at nighttime though, when all the, the, uh, sessions and workshops were over, uh, there is something special about that where everybody could be their own queer little selves for like the the (laughs) first time and and i resonated so much with that because i remember i remember in the 2006 conference uh like there was a, a really difficult day i was just like at the end of the day i was in just kind of this state of despair um and then like I, I was a minor, so I'm pretty sure I broke the rules. But uh, they, uh, a few of us, uh, uh, me and three lesbians, decided to go about town um, like an '80s movie, and uh, we just uh, 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 went to uh, uh, McDonald's, got some uh, McFlurries, uh, went to like parks, uh, hung around there, and and it was just like like stupid, silly things like that, where I actually felt like a teenager. Mm. Uh, it was like one of the few moments that I, that I remember like, like during that period anyway, where I actually like felt like that, that happened. So it's like, I, to this day, I wish I remembered their names. Like Aww. I would love to like, shout out know. to the three lesbians that went with Will <laughs> that took an underaged Will outside of the conference boundaries to wherever they went. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I'm sure they're big listeners uh, on your other brothers. Big fans <laughs> of the show. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the hanging out time because I, yeah, similarly, 2009, I remember two guys, we, it was in Chicago, right outside of Chicago, it was at Wheaton College, 
And so we went to Chicago for the day on the off day of the conference. And um, I still remember this. Like we took a train into the city. Um, we got deep dish pizza and snuck it into a theater. And we watched Harry Potter 6, whatever the sixth one is called. I forget. I forget what uh, it's called. The Half-Blood Prince. There we go. We watched that. And it was so special because I never did that. I was like the, the, the loner kid. Like I never took a train into the city to hang out with boys. Like what? what life am I living right now? And so when inevitably when I think of Exodus, when I think about those times, like, yeah, there were a bunch of workshops and maybe they're problematic now looking back on them, but man, those hangout times, like I, yeah, I just thoroughly, thoroughly have a nostalgic, uh, nostalgic memory for that. My first time in Asheville actually was at the 2005 conference and we were hanging out in this city after one evening and special. Yeah. Good memories of, of that. You were in the Jewel of the Blue Ridge and you didn't even know it. (laughs) You know what's wild, Will, is because I joined Zanga, our little anonymous blog network in 2008. And I remember reading blogs about people who went to Ridgecrest to to this conference center where... um, where Exodus happened a couple years prior. So it's, if I didn't like actually go to a conference with you, I at least maybe read about conferences that your peers went to, which is kind of cool, weird and cool all at once. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is something that like gave me goosebumps. Uh, Again, just looking at, looking at some statistics. um, One of the phrases or one of the quotes, uh, we were taught you'll become friends with a woman you will feel safe with her and hopefully a sexual attraction will grow on top of that. They would say you don't have to be attracted to all women. You only have to be attracted to one, just one, because that's the one you'll fall in love with. And that's the one you're going to marry. And that's the thing that I, I guess I still hear in churches when somebody when somebody comes out as gay, um, whether it's pastors or, or parents or leaders, well, couldn't you like, okay, you don't have to be attracted to all of them, but could, couldn't there just maybe be one? Couldn't you just try? Maybe you get close to a girl and you pray and you pray real hard and God will change you. Even if it's not towards all women, just towards that one, um, that that is still, still the narrative that is present in a lot of churches when it comes to conversations around sexuality. Um, I mean, you don't mind my asking, has that ever been thrown at either of you guys? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) All the time, really? All the time, because even even now, after I'm out to my church community, people will be like, well, you still might find a wife one day. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I think maybe not so much anymore, but maybe for a few years there while I was still newly newly out like i think maybe people didn't fully understand that no but you got i'm not attracted to women like like i'm i and i i guess maybe for me i always am also i'm also very vocal to say that i'm i'm very open to god doing that and bringing a woman to me but do i expect it to happen no do i do i think it do i hope for it to happen no it's like it's kind of nebulous i guess and i understand i'm trying to show grace to straight people of like maybe they just they're just their hearts in the right place they don't want me to be alone or they want me to be normal like them or whatever but um but yeah it's it doesn't come up as much anymore i guess but i don't know it's 
it's confusing. I remember Alan Chambers said would he would use the phrase he's he's not opposite sex attracted anymore, or he's not opposite sex attracted, but he is Leslie sex attracted or something because his wife's name is Leslie, and so. I always was like, oh, that's a cute little line. Cause like, that's true. Like, yeah, I don't need to be attracted to all women, but if there was one that I developed an attraction for, then sure, I'd be open to dating and marriage. But that, as of now, that has not been the case for me. So. And of course, like attraction is, we all know, a very complicated thing. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not so much of like possibilities of God can do this or God can't. Of course, God can. It's, uh, understanding that's super complex and we're trying to like answer a super complex issue with a simple answer and that just doesn't work mm-hmm. actually I had a conversation with a friend about about this in one of the things he said was it seems like over time the answers that were simple that just asked you to accept of thinking about the ramifications of what this is going to look like for people's lives they were easy pat answers and people were told to just accept them and just swallow them. And now, with there being greater acceptance and culture of of gay people in the church, some of those pat answers that might have felt satisfactory to the person saying them, if not to the person receiving them, um, are just no longer standing up to scrutiny. And upon examination, going, okay, so is change actually possible? Well, what do you mean by change? Um, and they had to they had to redefine what change meant. Change meant not acting on behavior. Well, if I'm not doing this, I'm not this. I can't be gay because I'm not acting on these things. But the big lie was, yeah, the attraction was always still there. It was always going on in the background. And there wasn't the freedom or the safety to say this is still present. Because these are people that are at the head of a movement. And if you say the attraction's ongoing, has change actually really happened? Or is it a house of cards? Right. Change is possible. Yeah, that's a it's a trigger phrase for sure in our in our world. Um, well, because you teased it, I need to know because you said that. Do you want to be encouraging or do you want to be a little more on the nose with something or whatever you phrase it? Um, yeah. What 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 were some things that or was some what was something that was hard or challenging about about this? I think the hardest part. Was And this took me by surprise that they included this person and this storyline um, in in the film was uh, Ricky Shillette. Um, it's uh, he's like, I would never consider him as like sort of this like top tier Exodus name. Like he's kind of like a second tier, uh, uh, but he mainly interacted with with the youth at these conferences, which. Like Tom, was he at? Uh, did he do workshops and sessions at your conferences? Or no, no, I never, never saw him or met him. I've always, I've heard his name, but yeah, that was that was the first time I even like saw what he looked like in the in the documentary because I never, and he never appeared. Like they they had a disclaimer at the end that said he was he was asked to appear in this documentary for an interview and declined. Um, but they showed clips of him in the documentary of of some of his workshops. So, but that was yeah, I had no no other interaction with him. Yeah. So, so my like when I fir- when I first watched this film, I don't know why I said first. The only time I watch this film, I don't. I'm not going to watch it again. I'm glad that I watch it once. Uh, uh, but I had to stop it like ten minutes in because, like, yeah, it was ten minutes in that they started bringing in 
his story. Like one of the people they interviewed was uh, Julie Rogers, and Julie uh, was basically was a mentee of of Ricky for uh, quite a long time. Um, uh, but he ran a ministry, or he's still running it, uh, Living Hope, out of. Uh, Texas, and they had a very strong online presence at the time. And he was the whole reason that I got kind of like into Exodus um, and uh, uh, into the whole ex-gay world. Uh, so it's, uh, um, I was like, I was probably eighth grade, eighth or ninth grade at the time. And uh, he, like, I was like he had these forums I spent a lot of time interacting with. Uh, uh, but during that time I actually became like quite suicidal and, uh, he called me up, uh, try to, uh, talk me uh, through this situation. Um, and it, and he encouraged me to, um, come out to my parents or my pastor or somebody. And, and those are all like correct things, uh, for somebody to say. And I did, uh, but the interesting, the interesting thing was when I look back at it for the longest time, I credited Ricky to like saving my, my life, like stopping this uh, horrible situation from happening. And looking back, I'm like, if I was, if I wasn't even involved in his organization, um, would I have even gotten to that point to begin with? Like, like if I, like it, it's kind of like this weird, this I don't know, this weird world where like like this person causes a lot of harmful thinking, uh, uh, but they also care for you at the same time. And I, it's hard to really like uh, uh, work through those uh, things. So like, uh, so when the movie brought him up, that brought up a whole lot of baggage that I was not expecting to see. I had no idea that he was going to be like one of the main people that they would focus on. And so that was, yeah, that was tough. That was really hard to go through though. I would consider healing as well. Like, uh, uh, the entire movie I would consider healing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it brought up a lot of emotion. Thank you for sharing, Will. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm sure other people watching who are listening to this episode, I'm sure they had connections to him and or to Exodus in general, at least. Like, I'm sure that this is something that's hitting home with a lot of people and hitting people from different directions if they watch it. Something I wanted to say from the top too is that um, there's almost like, I feel like there's a pressure sometimes for guys in our community to engage with content like this because like oh it's for us so we we quote unquote have to watch it i feel that responsibility as someone obviously leading this podcast right now like it would have been silly to do this episode and i didn't watch it but but um but i imagine there's a lot of pressure out there for gay christians or ssa folks that that they would have to watch this or they're just to be to be in the know to to not be left out but um but this can be a very hard thing to process and watch. And so there's no timeline. And so I imagine there might be people who saw the episode title of this podcast and <laughs> maybe I'll edit this back at the beginning. Like, But yeah, there's no pressure to watch. There's no pressure to listen if you're not ready, if, if it's going to bring up things from your past that you're not ready to deal with. Because I think um, that's something that uh, should have, yeah, should be articulated is like, um, I feel a pressure to watch things or or, or interact with content like this. Um and I hope I hope people feel the freedom to to take a pass. Like if it's not 
time ever now or if ever, um, there's no pressure to. So, but I'm, I'm just grateful for the honesty and the accounts. So thank you for sharing, uh, vulnerably about your experience. Cause I, I can imagine that can be challenging to hold both of those things of someone who legitimately helped you through something, but then, but then, yeah, the bigger picture, the way you said it is like, maybe not, not overly helpful. One of the things and that I think might be present for, for some guys in mixed orientation marriages, um, you know, that go and, and watch this movie is, are they going to ask themselves the question, is this going to be me in five years, 10 years, 15 years? Um, especially when within our own community, we, we hear about mixed orientation marriages ending. And, you know, I, I wanted to intellectually like just step back and go, okay, um, what am I feeling right now? Is it, is it, well, feelings, it's not what they're valid or invalid. They are what they are. So what am I, what am I thinking here as I'm watching this? And I think actually jumping back when we, uh, when we were reading through, um, an impossible marriage, hearing Matt and Lori Krieg's story, and then thinking about um, Pray Away, there was this moment of clarity for me where I realized, like, this is a description. Matt and Lori's story is Matt and Lori's story. The, the people that are sharing in this documentary, this has been their experience. And just because this is where their marriage is headed doesn't mean that that's going to be where mine heads or, you know, for, for any mixed orientation marriage. Um you know, this isn't predictive of what's going to happen to, to other people. And so just kind of feeling that clarity to be like, okay, I don't have to, I don't have to worry. I don't have to obsess over this. Um, I'm free to, to love my wife. I'm free to continue to run after her and pursue her. So just shout out there to the married guys that if you do end up watching this and you start second guessing things, your feelings are there to tell you that there might be something you might need to look at, but please don't take it as like a doomsday prophecy that this is where all mixed orientation marriages are headed either. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up from the married perspective, um, which is always relevant, always helpful because I know we have lots of married guys and la and gals listening. Um, <clears throat> and well, you brought up Julie because Julie Rogers, I know that she is somebody that lots of people in our community have followed for years and years and years. Um, and I remember reading her blogs back in the day and she spoke at these Exodus conferences. So I've listened to her speak. Um, she's one of, if not the most prominent person featured in this documentary, because they follow her from beginning to end um, along with her wife to be, who then becomes her wife at the end of the, the documentary. And, um, and it's very, it's, it was very strange to watch because she clearly looks like she's in a healthier place with all this not that she's necessarily fully recovered or healed from everything she went through but um but just observing her she looks happy she looks like she she's enjoying the company of her wife and um and she's very well spoken and measured um empathetic to to all she was in that church basement scene she talks about that as being a a pivotal experience for her as far as changing to a, or eventually changing to an affirming theology um but I imagine a lot of people watching that could watch with a lot of mourn, like a lot of mourn mourning, because it's like this was somebody who was, who was, who was, I guess a hero for a lot of people. Like she, she wrote blogs, she spoke, um, she appeared to to have 
you know, she, she, she was somebody I would put just from my limited vantage point on like the Mount Rushmore of, of these, these quote unquote successful, um, side, well, they wouldn't have used the language of side B back then, but, but whatever this, whatever this was side X, side B, side Y, whatever. Um, like she was up there. She was one of the names, certainly from on the female side for sure. Um, and so it was very, I don't know. It was, I had a lot of sadness watching because I, I go back with her and I never interacted with her directly, but, but I know plenty of people who did. And so I felt sad for them that I know that her, her taking on an affirming theology was, was really, um, demoralizing for a lot of people and, and hard for a lot of people for lack of a better term. So I don't know where I'm going with that, but I wanted to bring her up because I know she was one of the most prominent people in the, in the documentary. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to bring her up. Like, uh, my, interaction with her was very minimal and like she had very little influence on my experience because she didn't really come to prominence until like we went to the same exodus conferences together as attendees um like i i vaguely remember her uh, i remember her curly hair uh i those sort of things tend to stick out for me um and uh uh but love the curly hair yeah <laughs> Uh, but it's, yeah, like she was just an attendee and I barely, barely remember her. So, um, her influence on my life was very minimal. So I am sympathetic though, for the people who did see her as a, a sort of, uh, um, influential person in their lives. Uh, but this is also like one of those areas where I feel like there's almost a sort of contradictory message in the movie. Uh, so like you see John Pauk at one point saying like, uh, um, like all they wanted in, in the church or their expectations in the church was, uh, to be married, to have kids, to have this like perfect Christian family. And this is like the, the model that was uh, set up and, and you, you get this understanding. This is one of the reasons why Exodus failed so horribly is they tried to fit everybody into this model, um, and the movie ended up doing the same thing, though, where like it shows Julie getting married at the end. This is how she's going to be happy. Um, and it was trying to force people into the model like this is how gay people are going to be happy and to heal from this. And and it's just like it's making the same mistake here, <laughs> um, if, if that makes sense. And so I, that's like one of the flaws that I have with this movie, though they were just telling her story. So like, that's mm -hmm. like, uh, so it's a flaw that I don't like elevate super high, but I think it's a flaw. I was going to ask, cause we were starting to wind down this conversation. I was going to ask if you guys felt like the, the side B perspective was lacking or or would that have like not served the purpose of the movie well because i i can see arguments going both ways of like it would have been awesome if there was you know obviously the affirming route and then you have this ex-gay route but then what about like folks from side b world like revoice and yab and all the other groups that are out there like would they would that have entered well into this conversation would it have made it way too convoluted to follow like wait what what are all these people doing like i don't know what do you what do you think yeah, I don't think it would have fit the narrative uh, simply because like none of the none of the Exodus leaders went side B. Um, so I like it would have been nice to feel represented, but I'm not sure if it would fit. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. wasn't the wasn't the point and purpose and you know scope of the film. Um, but back to the point, the idea of what what is being sold at the end that you know getting married to somebody from you know getting married to the same sex having children the the fact that you touch on that it, it's just a shifting of the narrative focus and it's a diagnostic of what else still needs to be addressed in the church about what does it look like to be whole in Christ um that a person who is single is not any less of a person uh, than a than a person who is married. Yeah, that is a diagnostic from the movie as well. That's huge. Something that still needs to get wrestled with in the church because the narrative of get married and have children. Well, what about for you know somebody like me and my wife, where we find out we can't have kids? So does that mean that somehow we're not, you know, walking with Christ, that we're we're not living to the fullness that God has for us while we're here in this world? I don't think so. Absolutely not. It means we have different focus in life and how we live it out, how we do community, how we do friendships. But I don't think that that means we're less fulfilled. We're just fulfilled in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think as much as I was selfishly craving that that third way, that side B perspective in this in this documentary i did get the sense like i don't know it probably not not this movie i think what i would like to see and i think it's coming you guys i don't know if you guys are ready for it but i think there's probably at some point i don't know how soon but there's got to be it's going to catch the attention of somebody like what is this revoice thing coming up or what are these guys blogging and podcasting about every month or um like i i start to wonder i start to wonder like okay how many how many more years until that comes forward and how will that be received because it's going to I mean, we'll, we'll have a, (laughs) we'll have a podcast about it. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I was just hungry for that. Cause yeah, I got to the end of it. I was like, okay, that was, I'm glad I watched it. It was good to see it, but I, yeah, it just, it felt incomplete. Like there's, but there's other people living other ways. Like it's not, it's not binary. It's not just one choice or another. There's, um, we've brought it up consciously or unconsciously. We brought up on the show all the time. Jesus models this third way in so many ways, appearing conservative to, to one group of people, appearing liberal or progressive to another group of people and forging this third way um, that kind of shows the blind spots of both sides of the spectrum. And I, um, I don't know, I just love to see this, uh, this conversation make it make its way more into the mainstream that people are more aware of it. Cause I feel like it, people still aren't fully aware, I think of what, what we're all about and, and the, the path that we're leading. Some other like quick hits from the documentary and we'll finish up. Something that was really moving to me was when Randy Thomas, who was associated with Exodus, um, he was talking about the passage of Prop 8 in California um, and how there were people in the streets with candles, candlelight, um, and how that that was like a turning moment for him to uh, eventually taking on an affirming theology because he talked about he had, a, he had this voice watching it on the news, like, how could you do this to your own people? How he felt like a kinship and a connection with these people because of all the, I think, Will, you were mentioning it, like the political part of this of this movie, which was, um, yeah, which was something I wasn't entirely aware of either. So, like, that was, it was moving for me um, to see somebody have an attachment or association with, with the community of the people that they were against. Like, it was a beautiful paradoxical sobering um moment to to watch i think the idea of seeing 
seeing suffering, whatever its cause, humanizes somebody. Um, so to see people that, you know, had gotten married and then afterward to see that hope for others struck down and seeing the amount of pain that it caused, um, how, how could a person help but feel kinship and feel feel compassion? I think one of the reasons why you end up with a dichotomy in politics, um, you know, side X, side A, side B too, is when we view somebody as other, when we can make them the other, when we can have contempt for them. You you can't love somebody that you have contempt for, um, but the minute you start to feel compassion, that that contempt drains away, and you start seeing them as fellow image bearers, um, worth loving and respecting, even if there's an agreement on everything. And that was beautiful as a, as a changing point and turning point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other, the other one that jumped out at me was when Julie was sitting, um, I think your wife's name is Amanda. Is that right? Julie and Amanda. I, I think so. I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to go with Amanda. Forgive me if that's incorrect. <laughs> Julie, they were sitting on the couch and she was reading something that she had written. Um, it was a very tender moment. Like she had her arm around her shoulder and, and she was clearly getting emotional while Julie read talking about her years with living hope. And, um, and she talked about some self harm and she, she brought up her depression. And I grabbed this quote from it because it, I feel like it's relevant to, um, to the sexuality conversation. I'm sure it's relevant to lots of other things, but, um, but she wrote, I've heard depression described as anger turned inward. Um, and the way she described that in relation to self-harming and just her time in that world, um, again, the dichotomy of how measured she was and how she's clearly reached a point of a lot of growth and healing, um, while her wife is like snuggling her beside her and crying into her shoulder while this, this moment is happening before us. Like it really shows just the humanity of these people. Like these aren't like as, as Preston Sprinkle will say, these, this isn't an issue. Like these are people to be loved. These are humans with souls and emotions and wounds and hurts and scars. And I don't know, it was just a humanizing moment, regardless of what you believe about homosexuality. Like I would hope that someone could watch that scene and just witness, um, two people, yeah, processing this horrific experience, this hard time, um, and hopefully come out with a little empathy um, in the process. So it's, if anything, I hope there's a takeaway from this film that, um, like, I'm all, I'm all for new perspectives and learning how the different unique millions of vantage points we all have to get to who we are. Um, I'm hoping that people could watch this and, and have that takeaway, um, if nothing else. Yeah, and I was going to bring up that scene as mm -hmm. well. Like that was the probably the most powerful scene in the movie, I think. And also another criticism I have the movie of the movie is they didn't have more scenes like that because like the number of people that I know that have experienced self-harm uh, uh because of uh, uh conversion therapy or exodus um is quite high up there and one of the one of the things I've realized, because in Canada there was a debate for a bit there uh, passing a conversion therapy uh, bill uh, to ban it, and uh, a lot of Christians uh, here that I talked to, uh, they were like, "Well, it's it's really not that big of a deal. Like, like why why do we need to go through a law to ban it?" And and it's it was those conversations where I'm like, 
like you can debate whether uh, how to like have a law to ban this, whether we should have a law, whatnot. But to say that this sort of thing isn't a big deal, I'm realizing that you you have to like actually show people that these sort of things do cause harm. Not everybody's convinced of that. And I think the movie makes the assumption that everybody knows how harmful it is. And that's a false assumption. Uh, so I think they needed more, um, more of those stories to, to show the pain that that exodus did cause for the people who experience pain. Like Tom, I like that you pointed out that uh, it wasn't a painful experience for you because it, um, I know a few people that was a positive experience. Um, I it's just good to get the the full range of stories yeah. there. It's the the whole notion of show not tell because I think it was Ben mentioned that there was a stat. They put up a stat at the end of the movie that said seven hundred thousand people have gone through it, and so that's great. You can put up stats on a screen. I'm all for numbers and stats. I love that. But but how much more meaningful would that be? Yeah, if we had more visual like representations of that with moments like that with Julie on the couch or um, I don't know, like, yeah, obviously it's a movie and you can't go for seven hours, but like, I don't know there, I think it could have benefited from some more, from more tender moments, real moments like that. Cause that was by far. Yeah. Like I agree with you, the most powerful um, scene for me as well. Something that I think, you know, pastorally to comment on is people need to be aware that not only was that harmful, but some of the mindsets that are, that are still present in the church that are, I'll say a fallout from ministries like Exodus, um, they're still there. Uh, you know, I found it amusing, uh, Will, that you were able to run around with other people from Exodus because, you know, that's against the rules. And why was it against the rules? Well, obviously if you, you know, put gay people together and you allow them to hang out without supervision, they're going to go in there, you know, going to have sex. Um, we, we laugh at that and go, well, ha ha. But how many people in their church, if they come out, are they going to be viewed with, you know, greater scrutiny because they're gay? Um, the mindset that we are something to be fixed. Um, you know, one of the quotes from the movie, the main message I heard about gay people was that they're disgusting. It was just this sense that gays were really, really bad, dirty, scary, and and bad. Um, even if it's not quite as pronounced, is that mindset still there and present in the church uh, to make us the other? And that's still alive and well within the church, I think. So how do we address that pastorally and say, hey... We're here, um, you know, we're wanting to run and follow after Jesus too. And how do we you know, point out some of those maybe more subtle hurtings, those subtle mindsets that are present? That's that's a lesson maybe we can take away from uh, from Pray Away is addressing some of those within the church. Well said, well said. You guys feel like we covered it all? Anything glaring, glaringly absent? You know, shockingly, I'm like, I could talk more, which is... <laughs> I was not expecting that because I'm I know. Like, Will, I was I, so like, thoroughly <laughs> pleased that you wanted to do this episode today. I am, you were great. Ben, you were great too. But Will, it was great to have your perspective, like from more of the inside than either of us. Well, and I'm not sure if a year ago, if I actually could have like mm. done this uh, to talk about this movie in this way. Like, I feel like I've gone through a lot of, uh, uh, healing uh, uh, from that time in my life. And so, like, 
So it's weird that I could talk more because <laughs> because I, I thought I'm like, oh, I'm going to want to talk for like 10 minutes and I'll be emotionally spent. Um, and, well, uh, well, that we'll wasn't just, the case. We'll just be waiting for the sequel. Still praying the gay away or whatever they call it. <laughs> too praying, too furious or I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out what they call the sequel. But we'd love to have you back. Maybe again, we, maybe this is teasing the waters. Maybe we like try Boy Erased or we try some other movie that's <laughs> made its way out there in the past or in the future to come. Who knows? I think that's a good idea. Continue. Uh, do the Yob movie club. I'm, I'm all about it. The film club. Yeah. We, it's film club. It's more cultured, more, more. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because stately. we have to be more cultured and <laughs> movie club. Yeah. No, we'll see. I've, we're testing the waters. We'll see how this uh, zoom conversation goes. Cause we will have a zoom call with our yobbers about this episode. So looking forward to hearing what they have to say about how this movie landed with them. So we want to hear from our listeners too. You guys, if you listen to this episode, if you have thoughts, if you watch this movie, ideally you would comment if you watched the movie, that would be, that'd be helpful. So if you watch the movie, if you listen to this episode and you have thoughts to share, we would love to hear them. Go over to our podcast episode page, yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Find the episode 85 post on pray away. And Tell us a story. How did this movie land with you? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Was it encouraging at parts, challenging at parts, uncomfortable at parts? Um, what, were, what were the feels for you? We'd love to to hear whatever you feel comfortable sharing. We'd love to hear your story about how this landed with you. Um, and yeah, I'd just be I'd be curious to read. It'd be an awesome place to just collect stories and share and learn from one another. As far as um, yeah, whether you were involved in the Exodus years or or not, we just love love to get your story. So. Thank you in advance. And as we mentioned at the top, if you want to give us a call, we'd love to hear your voice that way as well. Big shout out to not Netflix, but Blockbuster for powering this, this episode. Um, go visit the last Blockbuster in Bend, Oregon. Tell us what the vibe is. Cause I want to go. We all want to go. Dude, I have an idea now. Next okay. Yab retreat Blockbuster. <laughs> What a, what a, what a trip that would be. Bend, Oregon. You know, I've been there once. I didn't know that there was a blockbuster there at the time. I, I wish I had gone to it, but it's in the middle of the day. It's very hot. I just remember it being very hot, deserty. When you think of Oregon, you, I think you typically think of maybe lots of trees or cliffs. And obviously there's that, there's outside of the state, but it's split by a desert on the Eastern side and it's a whole different Oregon out there. So I don't know. It would be, that would be a change of pace from our lush, blue ridge retreats that we've had <laughs> these last three years but we'll see um ben and will so good to have you on my screen again and to have this conversation with you guys again i hope to conversate with you both again soon that would be awesome yeah Tom. this is good yeah so so good we'll be back next week for another yob convo cast stay tuned you guys we have a first time guest coming soon you don't want to miss it Uh, But for now, for all your other brothers, this is Tom. And I'm Ben. And I'm Will. Reminding you that you are not alone. Even the sparrow finds a home. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers Podcast. Our show is edited and produced by Thomas Mark Zuniga. If you enjoy our show, consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Your Other Bros. We'd love to hear your story. Comment on this or any of our episodes at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast or share a story to play back on our show by calling us at 
706-389-8009. You can also email us at podcast at yourotherbrothers.com or write to us at Your Other Brothers, P.O. Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. Finally, if you'd like to further support our storytelling, community building efforts, consider becoming a Yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly on Patreon and receive perks like bonus podcast content, access to a secret Facebook group, regular group calls with fellow patrons and authors, and more. Visit patreon.com slash your other bros for more information. Until we journey next time, we're glad you're with us.